0: On this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, we discuss the latest news, talk about upcoming conferences, discuss electronic medical record implementation, and interview Katie Pearson about how to survive software transitions.
1: This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, SIS. SIS's mission is to deliver solutions and services that help surgery providers, regardless of care setting, improve their organization so they can deliver the highest level of care to their patients. For more information, go to sisfirst.com.
0: Welcome to episode 208 of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey for December 6th, 2023, recording from our studios in Spencerport, New York. This is Sue Cronkite, co-host of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey and Operations Manager for Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. We would like to remind our listeners that the ASC regulatory environment is a rapidly evolving landscape and the material presented in this episode is based on the most current information available as of the date of recording. As such, it is important to recognize that the information may be subject to change, and we advise all ASCs to stay up to date with the latest regulations and guidelines issued by their relevant regulatory bodies. Joining me today is John Gailey, the owner of Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies and one of the most respected experts in the ambulatory surgery industry. With over 30 years of experience, Mr. Gailey has authored over 10 books on the ASC industry, and he is a sought-after speaker on regulatory accreditation and finance issues.
1: So, happy holidays to everybody. Uh, We survived Thanksgiving getting ready for uh, a wonderful Christmas. Sue, uh, you and uh, Amy are getting close to something important. What's happening?
0: (laughs) Well, Amy, my daughter, is due to have her baby, a little girl, in Gosh, I don't know. In the next, at the very latest, it'll be um, about a week and a couple of days. Yeah. But it could happen anytime, really. So
1: that's kind of why we're recording these things as quickly as possible. <laughs> I might have to uh, do a couple of them just to kind of get ahead a little bit. Mm. We, we have been very busy. We're revising um, three of our books right now, actually. Uh, so Sue has been helping me with the uh, survey guide, the uh, conditions for coverage book is just about done. And, uh, we, you know, we're still working on some other projects, too. But uh, so very soon you'll have our our new books out there. I know the survey guide hadn't been published since 2020, uh, since 2020, actually, just mm-hmm. before the pandemic in, in February of that year. So uh, very excited about get, that getting updated. So thank you, Sue, for the hard work you're putting into uh, getting that up to speed. Uh, and then, of course, we have a lot of uh, conferences uh, coming up. We, have, um, we just finished the Finance and Accounting Introduction mm-hmm. to Finance and Accounting and the Conditions for Coverage conferences. And uh, they were our second and third most attended conferences of all time for, uh, for our company. So uh, thank you for everybody that, uh, uh, that signed up for it. And they are now available on demand. So if you want to... Uh, Uh, to uh, listen to a recording of those eight-hour conferences each and and get AEU credits or certificate of attendance. That is available now. Uh, All you have to do is go to asc-central.com. And you'll get all the content that we discussed during the the live conference. Uh, And if you uh, give us the uh, codes that are throughout the recording, um, we can uh, issue the AEUs. They get eight credits each, as I think I mentioned. And then January 11th and 12th, 2024, we have our Credentialing, Privileging and Peer Review Conference. It is already filling up. Uh, we're kind of surprised at the interest in this uh, so soon. It's it's more than a month away, but uh, we have a lot of signups already, and uh, I'm pretty sure uh, – It's going to be a very successful conference also. So Mm -hmm. for more information about that, uh, go to ASC-Central.com. And Ann Geyer is going to be coming Mm -hmm. back. Uh, Ann retired in uh, May of this year, and uh, she's agreed to come back and do uh, the session on peer review. And she's also going to be helping us out on the – we're going to do a mock survey during the uh, the second day of that conference. Mm -hmm. And then we do have our – uh, ASC Administrator's uh, Boot Camp that's going to be January 23rd through the 26th. Uh, it will be will be celebrating the third year of the ASC Administrator uh, Boot Camp. That was our first boot mm-hmm. camp that we introduced in 2021. So very excited about that. And we also have announced our... Uh, next uh, business office manager conference, and that is going to be March 12th through March 15th in 2024. And again, all of these you can sign up for at asc-central.com. So let's uh, move on to uh, recent news. There was a recent article in U.S. News and World Reports indicating that they are uh, updating the way they are doing the surgery center uh, ratings and rankings. Uh, and they've also modified the timing uh, of those rankings. So U.S. News has for decades helped patients identify the best hospitals for a wide range of medical specialties and services. And in 2024, they're now going to broaden that focus to encompass uh, ambulatory surgery centers. So um, their intention is to introduce ratings of surgery centers for uh, several different specialty areas. Um, I'll give a link to the article about this, but what they're, they're doing is they're creating these rankings from publicly available information. They're going to use several measures of patient outcomes such as emergency department visit rates and costs associated with potentially avoidable complications. And they've teamed up with the healthcare analytics firm Care Journey, which has analyzed Medicare claims to calculate risk-adjusted rates of several outcomes for numerous types of procedures performed in ambulatory surgery centers. And they're developing this methodology to combine relevant measures to produce a composite rating for each of several key specialty areas, orthopedics and spine, gastroenterology, urology, ophthalmology, for example. And they're hoping to release the uh, the first edition of this in the first half of 2024 And more detail will be forthcoming. We're going to keep a very close eye on this. Um, so they are going to be doing the rating for all Medicare-certified ambulatory surgery centers for which the U.S. News has sufficient data Um and they indicate that there's approximately 5,000 centers in total. We do know that there's about 6,000 centers out there, but they're probably correct that they might only be able to get enough data for 5,000. Um, Sue, one of the things I th- found interesting is the centers do not need to take any action in order to be con- considered, nor can they opt out of being evaluated. Mm-hmm. So keep in mind that all of the data that's out there in the in, uh, you know, in the Medicare databases is going to be available and be used to make these ratings. Unlike the Newsweek uh, system, which is very different than this, uh, this is actually uh, not going to have any input at all and, and no interviews, as I understand mm-hmm. it, of the people in the center. So uh, they recognize it's an ambitious undertaking and it's going to require quite a bit of uh, time and effort on the part of the, the new staff. But it'll be interesting. I, I think, uh, you know, I'm a little... Uh, concerned about it because you just never know how accurate some of this information mm-hmm. is going to mm-hmm. be. And I think we uh, in the industry the very keep a very close eye on it and be prepared for any of the ramifications of these rankings coming out.
0: And I have a couple um, recall alerts from the FDA. So the FDA issued a safety alert on November 30th concerning plastic syringes made in China. They're investigating the possibility of poor quality that could result in breakage, leaks, or other problems. Currently, this does not include pre-filled or glass syringes. So they recommend checking your inventory for the manufacturing location and avoid purchasing plastic syringes that were sourced from China until this this issue has been resolved. However, they did note that if you only have syringes that came from China, just monitor them closely for breakage or leaks um, if you do need to use them.
1: We will give a link to that, uh, that notice from the FDA.
0: And they ha- there's a recall of saline and sterile water products that were manufactured by Nurse Assist, LLC. Um, they are sold under several different brands and different sizes of bottles, spray cans, and syringes. They found these products may not be sterile. They um, could be contaminated with bacteria. These products were sold under the following brand names, Nurse Assist, Cardinal, Covidian, Holyard Owens Minor, Idex, Mac Medical, McKesson. MediChoice Owens Minor. Medline, Sol, Stericare, Trudell, and Viere. And I may have mispronounced some of those. Um, The recalled products may be available as individual units, or they could be included as part of a kit. So more specific product information, including the UDI or unique device identifier, can be found on the FDA website if you need to check specifically for something that you have.
1: And we'll give a a link to that also. These are uh, relatively common products that are being used in surgery centers, so it is important to keep an eye out for them.
0: And in USA Today, I hate to bring up COVID again, but um, from November 29th, reported that a subvariant of Omicron, BA-286, has tripled in the U.S. in the last two weeks, and it now accounts for nearly one-tenth of the cases. Although it's now been classified by the World Health Organization as a variant of interest, they and the CDC say the variant's risk of causing severe illness is low compared to other variants. So that's good news, you know, hopefully...
1: Looks like we'll it's just starting keep getting to. getting milder forms. Right, right.
0: And there's just been a lot of news um, about hospitals having to postpone or cancel surgeries due to the shortage of anesthesia providers. Um, so I just wanted to talk about a couple of them. Um, two of the largest hospitals in Portland, Oregon have had to greatly restrict the number of surgeries in the last month. One of the hospitals was only accepting emergency and OB cases for a week or two near Thanksgiving. And in October, Cheshire Medical Center in Keene, New Hampshire, started postponing some elective surgeries, and also began doing surgeries on Saturdays to kind of spread that out to try to accommodate as many as they as they could fit in um, with their limited anesthesiologists. Canada is also dealing with this issue. In August, eighty four percent of hospital chiefs said they needed to hire more anesthesiologists to be a- adequately staffed, um, according to Barillon the shortage is expected to grow to 12,500 nationwide by 2033. While the number of physicians increased by 7% from 2016 to 2021, the number of anesthesiologists only increased by 1.1%. They pointed out that many states have started opting out of physician supervision requirements for CRNAs, as is allowed by the federal government, but not allowed by all states. Right. Of course, they... um, You know, the CRNAs have a lower level of training, but they did say the pay for CRNAs is also increasing as they begin to fill in the gaps. So the financial benefit of hiring CRNAs may begin to decrease. So I'm, you know, it's not really the whole answer.
1: Yeah, we're seeing uh, we're we're definitely seeing this uh, affecting a a lot of our clients over at AHS. Uh Uh, and uh, you know, our, our listeners, our patron members have been noting uh, an increase in problems here. And I think uh, the the if if it hasn't affected you yet, you need to be prepared for it. No um, treat your it goes without saying you should be treating your anesthesia providers well, mm-hmm. of course, and uh, and uh, you know do whatever you can in order to accommodate their uh, reasonable requests um, because uh, losing them at this point could be quite detrimental to your operation. I think we're also seeing um, a lot of surgery centers considering different anesthesia provision models, Uh uh, including, you know, uh, bringing CRNAs in-house. We're also keeping a very close eye on what's going on with uh, RN-administered conscious sedation. We mentioned, uh, I think in our last episode, a situation in in Pennsylvania where they're not allowing RN-administered conscious sedation, which hopefully is not going to spread throughout the rest of the country, but uh, that could be another potential solution, but of course that comes with risks also, because, you know, RNs, again, don't have that level of Skill, uh, and I guess I can speak for a lot of the nurses. They don't really mm-hmm. want to take on that responsibility yeah, it's necessarily. It's a big
0: responsibility unless you have a lot of training and a lot of experience on yeah.
1: it. Yeah, and and you know, it's not like we have a lot of RNs laying around either. You yeah, know? so <laughs> no, that's um, not really the answer. That's right. It's not not mm-hmm. really the answer. So we're going to keep a very close eye on that.
0: Hey, and lastly, um, I saw an article in Outpatient Surgery Magazine in the November-December 2023 issue, had an article titled, Is EHR Adoption Critical for ASCs? And they noted some of the benefits of having an EMR include the ability to standardize your data in a way that can improve patient care, save time, and help to meet regulatory and accreditation requirements. You can reduce the risk of prescribing the wrong medication or ordering redundant tests. It's just easier to track all of that stuff in an EMR. Enhance your ability to track and report quality measures. Some of them, you know, can really pull together a good set of data when you need it. Although it will take some dedicated time to implement an EMR system and staff may be resistant at first. You should eventually save time on printing, scanning, and the storing of paper records. So the upfront investment in time really should pay off. As Katie, who we talked to a little bit later, she mentioned in the interview, the more you can customize the program in the beginning and take the time to train your staff as well as a super user that can help other people that run into problems, the better your ultimate outcome will be. Also, working with any particularly resistant staff is important because just, you know, one or two people that are doing a lot of complaining can really affect the mood um, that surrounds any kind of a change, so it's really important to kind of get everybody at least buy in to a certain extent. The article noted that currently um, most new ASCs are starting up with an EHR in place, but only about twenty to fifty percent of existing ASCs have switched to an electronic format. Now, twenty to fifty percent—that's a really wide <laughs> yeah, range. I don't know. I way. think it
1: is closer to fifty percent. <laughs> and uh, as, as Sue mentioned, we're we're going to interview. Uh, uh, Katie in our second segment here, mm-hmm. but this is, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of resistance. I, I got to admit, you know, as a surveyor, when mm-hmm. I go out, I really don't like electronic medical records. Yeah. It's so much more work to go through and and review and, uh, and, and evaluate uh, EMR systems rather than just being able to scan through a medical record yeah. quickly uh, on paper. But again, you know, I've you know, been in the industry a long time, but it was, uh, it was all paper yeah. when I first started. Uh, and uh, and I, I, I kind of grew up in that environment. But most people coming out of school now okay. have experience with EHRs. And most people that are coming over from the hospital have uh-huh. had experience with an electronic medical record for a very long time.
0: Yeah. Or even it, you know, when I was in the hospital, I went through a changeover and it just seemed so daunting and Nobody really wanted to learn it all. It seemed like it was so confusing. But, you know, after a year or two, you know, when the power would go out or something, you know, it seemed really daunting to go back to the paper. It just seemed so antiquated. So you do get used to it. It's just it is a big dedication of time and trying to make sure you've got everything really in place and just how you want it before you implement it.
1: Yeah, and to that end, uh, we uh, our dear, very dear friend, uh, Katie Pearson, and she <laughs> does have a very important announcement uh, during this interview, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but uh, Katie uh, uh, agreed. When we were thinking about uh, talking about EMRs, mm-hmm. Katie uh, had just gone through some major implementation um, with uh, the SIS system, our mm-hmm. sponsor, and the sponsor for this episode. And, and she, uh, she we thought that she'd be a great uh, person to interview to kind of talk uh, often when we do interviews, we talk to the vendors and here we're talking to somebody that uh, you actually live through it. And uh, And of course, those of you that have heard Katie previously on the podcast know she's very engaging. So let's take a short break here. And when we come back, we'll have an interview with Katie Pearson.
2: When it comes to the financial outcomes of your ambulatory surgery center, it has never been more important to maximize revenue, tighten the time to bill and collect payment, and reduce denials from payers. Yet, without a keen focus on your revenue cycle, it can be difficult to achieve the results your center needs to remain profitable. The revenue cycle experts at Surgical Information Systems can help. With revenue cycle services from SIS, you can improve the financial health and performance of your ASC. Cis Revenue Cycle Services takes care of all aspects of the Revenue Cycle, including compliant coding based on documentation, claim preparation and submission, claim management, accounts receivable management, billing follow-up, month-end reconciling and closing processes, standard and customized reporting, and patient portion due and or balance management. By doing the heavy lifting, Cis Revenue Cycle Services leaves you to do what you do best, provide affordable, high-quality care. In addition to managing your revenue cycle, the SIS RCS team uses a five-step process to monitor, analyze, and make recommendations for improvement to your revenue cycle performance. More than 50 ASCs enjoy these results from Cis revenue cycle services every month. Faster claim submission, shorter time to pay, improved AR follow-up, higher net collections, expert coding to meet exact payer requirements, and an overall more consistent revenue cycle. Visit sysfirst.com to learn how the revenue cycle experts at SIS can deliver improved financial health for your ASC. Again, that's sysfirst.com to learn more about SIS revenue cycle services.
1: So I'm here with Katie Pearson. Uh, Katie is an old-time friend of ours. She's been with us uh, with the podcast for many years, and we thought we'd have a, a conversation about implementing uh, new computer systems uh, and how best to interact with uh, the vendors, the types of things we have to watch out for uh, when we're in, uh, implementing uh, systems and, and uh, some of the pitfalls people run into. So welcome, Katie.
3: Thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. Uh, Katie, tell us a little bit about yourself for for those few people who don't know you already. All
3: right. Um, Sure. Well, I have been a nurse for uh, almost 20 years now. Uh, Through that time, I did acquire my bachelor's, master's, and then doctorate in nursing practice. Um, And then I have been in the uh, ASC world for about the past six years of that, uh, most recently an administrator at a pain management facility.
1: And that's why we, uh, your uh, your doctorate, of course, is quite unusual. And that's one of the reasons we call you Dr. Katie, just to pick up. That's mine.
3: right. That's right. John likes to remind me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, you know, one of the major issues that we run into, well, first of all, I mean, we all know that we're all heading toward uh, basically computerizing, you know, the EMR and, 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 amateur surgery centers have been very slow to, ad, to adopt EMR systems. And, and to the best of my knowledge, uh, we aren't even necessarily over 50% penetration yet uh, nationwide, mm-hmm. especially smaller center. I think the larger centers have all been heading in that direction. But so why don't we start by just talking a little bit about your history with moving toward an EMR system? Cause I believe it's, I think you've worked on it more than once, correct?
3: Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. So I found it really interesting spending most of the beginning of my career in hospitals when I moved over to the ASC world, how little technology had been adopted, right? Because I assumed with surgery being a little more lucrative uh, that I would have seen it more. And right. then in using so much EMR in the hospitals, and then going to paper, back to paper, uh, I almost felt like I was taking a step back in time. So uh, I have been very motivated uh and and enthusiastic about getting technology adopted in the ASC setting all the way from implementing EMRs that are out there uh, to even helping build a homegrown uh system uh, because I'm all about helping you know make the the work easier make the data more uh, accessible and um Yeah. And we're in 2023. I don't understand why this is still taking so long time uh, to get going. I I,
1: I find it interesting sometimes when we're recruiting doctors away from a hospital into the surgery center setting that they are literally shocked when they have to go back to paper.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. You know, they're they're problematic because they're used to, you know, big hospital systems. And even if they were were on an, electro, an EMR system, they find a, a quite a bit of a step down from what they're used to in the hospital.
3: That's right. Yeah, they have all the bells and whistles in a hospital system, and then they come here and it's it's a lot more simplistic because it can be also, but it does uh, create a little bit of a shock to to even the learning curve of, wait a minute, but what about all these other features I'm used to having or having access, accessibility to, you know?
1: Yeah yeah, and I, I think that that gets to the heart of our our, our discussion today is uh, you know how how does an organization that has a history of being on paper adapt number one, adapt to a new system and then integrate people that are coming with a lot more experience in EMRs than many of the people that have been with a surgery center for a while. You know, we I think when we're mm-hmm. setting up a new surgery center, they often, you know, immediately implement an EMR. I'm I'm finding that more and more. Uh, it's oh, yeah, mainly the older organizations with with nursing staff or administ or, or all kinds of staff, you know, that have a long uh, history of being on paper. You know, how do they go about that? And and my experience has been it's often a very difficult transition. I know that's what you've experienced, too, when you've come into uh, existing. Organizations. Oh, yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. It's turning the Titanic uh, in that respect, because you have a lot of folks who will hold on to that piece of paper for dear life until you yeah. physically rip it out of their hands and even then they're still trying to find a way to get it back so uh right. the most success i've seen in getting this done is it's usually sparked by one of your highest influencers whether that be the administrator or medical director someone that says we need to do this we need to get this done what do we need to do to get this done and then putting a lot of manpower and energy into that. You really need to have somebody that is motivated or hire somebody that can help get you motivated to do it. Uh, there are you know, folks out there that can help uh, implement them as well if you're uh, unsure of. So I know it's it's possible, but I think it's really having that buy-in from someone with the authority to say, this is what needs to be done. And sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, my friend is using it. They said, it's super easy. How do we get it here? Right. Um, or I've seen someone else do it or, you know, the payers and it's where we're going to be going in the next 10, 15, 20 years. The nurses are all complaining because we're still on paper. I mean, there's, there is usually a motivational factor there that's driving the implementation of something like an EMR, but uh, you know, and then it's taking that flame and running with it because nothing, you know, stops progress more than you know your administrator then leaving or yeah <laughs> something right. like that so uh it's keep keeping it going uh and and then sometimes breaking it down into smaller pieces you know maybe not implementing the entire EMR just uh implementing the chart the nursing charting aspect of it you know break it up it's it can be done that way as well
1: well and actually that brings up a very good topic cuz the the major systems out there uh you mm-hmm. know for example SIS you know uh, yeah uh, our sponsor here, you know, they have right. the, uh, the the business system, you know, that does their billing mm-hmm. and and yeah. uh, registration, and then you got the EMR system, and then there's other modules that come with it, uh, that's and that's, right. uh, you know, the, uh, a relatively cost effective way to implement it, uh, and and of course the other major systems out there, you know, HST also, you know, has sure. similar um, attributes, but I think one of the things that we find extremely important is not rushing into this, correct. And so oh, absolutely! A little bit about yeah. you know your advice there, uh, having been through this yeah. before, how you do that, yeah. and also you know bring into it that that you, you know, these systems can't work on their own. You can't have a business office system that doesn't talk with uh, the uh, the EMR system, and and that's the danger you have if you're not looking at In. any systems.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're trying to break it up. Uh, and I would say, if you can, at the least, get the billing and charting components built at the same time so right. they can talk to one another. Because to your point, then it is, it is more work, technically, at the end of the day, trying to put the data from one into the other one. You are still having that manual process of having to, to have the two talk to one another. There isn't that true integration. So... For sure, my piece of advice would be if you can do the complete product, at yeah. least those two, um, 100% try to do that and then you can add the patient portal or or the the scheduling office piece or you know other things right. like that. Uh, anesthesia even can come later because um, it's uh, it is it is crucial in that respect uh, to to get those going.
1: So, so walk us through what you think is the ideal way. Let let's say that you're using a legacy system, a system that's really not supported anymore for your coding sure. and billing, and now you want to move into the uh, uh, 21st century. Heck, many people just <laughs> yeah. in the 20th century, but let's say that <laughs> to the first century. But yeah, you're going yeah. from an old system. Let's say that you have Advanix. By the way, I you know it, it's amazing to me Advanix is still around because I worked with it back when it first came out when Windows first yeah. came.
3: And, yeah uh, yeah.
1: In my view it's probably one of the best systems that was ever written out there so there are a lot of places that still have it but we know that that is not a system that it
3: it's it, not going to survive the next 10 years
1: right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's say that you are uh, an organization that has a system similar to Advanix and you're trying to move on to to one of the new generation cloud-based uh systems you know what what would be your step, if you were to walk into a surgery center tomorrow that was on Advanix, and you're the new administrator, you know, how, you know, the types of things I think we need to talk about is, you know, what would be your first steps? How long should it take? And what yeah. would you be doing with your staff to make sure it's very successful?
3: Yeah, I think something we all t- are very guilty of is building something creating something and then not looking at it for another five to 10 years. And then when you are trying to do something like this, you're trying to squeeze it into the system. Uh, Now being part of, you know, especially even SIS implementations, uh, folks will take their Advantix data, their paper chart, and then try to just emulate it onto SIS thinking that, oh, I'll just take this and then we'll have it word for word uh, reflect into this new EMR. And that's not how it's intended to be built. Uh, What I would say is get very familiar with what are the opportunities? What are the options of whatever EMR it is that you're looking to adopt? What, you know, have them go through a sample chart and really Either you or have your friend who's super tech savvy understand, you know, what? how is this going to flow? I've seen it so many times where people will try to, again, throw their paper chart into the EMR mm-hmm. and they'll say vital signs stable. And I'm like, but there's a whole vital signs module. Why are you even talking about vital signs over here when, you know, <laughs> when it's over here in the chart? So um you it, actually it, it's have
1: looking at if you're not uh, if you're you're trying to uh side by side convert from an existing paper or an old uh, style system uh, that's to, right uh, yeah. that's
3: right yeah and 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 again looking at looking at your preference cards looking at what supplies do you actually use because it's going to be so much work to input that data into the EMR system when you may not have used 500 of those preference cards in the past four years. You know what I mean? So cleaning up what you currently have is probably going to be the first step and one of the best things you can do. So then when you are building the system, it reflects accurately what you're currently doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, uh, you know, I I got away from the hospitals, and I know you did too, because we we all hate those committees, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, in a mm-hmm. hospital, uh, let's take the two extremes e- extremes. In a hospital, they would be putting together, you know, 17 committees to implement a new EMR system. They'd be meeting right. for two years, uh And right. uh, you know, have 200 or 300 people involved in the whole process, and then right. uh, implement it and still have a, a bad problem. <laughs> right. A very difficult right. implementation.
3: Yeah, because nobody—it's the blind leading the blind, you know. And and I think right. you're bringing up the the point that you really need to make sure you have somebody that has done this before that understands what they're right. doing because it is a very big undertaking. It can be very confusing, and what you don't know, you don't know. And then it does reflect on the back end, which then, of course, creates frustration and sometimes even pure hatred towards yeah. the system from the staff. So. You know, I do know people. If anybody (laughs) if if they need help, we 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 got you. But please, uh, if you if you are confused in any sense, don't try to do it alone. And I mean, SIS has a lot of support as well. They're they're really good at answering questions. You just got to be willing to take the advice and 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 ask for the help too. You know,
1: yeah. Well, and actually, that brings up a very good point. You know, how much. Time should be spent with the vendor. I think mm-hmm. sometimes we we when we implement a system, we we look at the default, uh, you know, um, templates that that might come in, and right. then right. make modifications to them without spending a lot of time with the vendor. The vendors are there to support you. Uh, That's and- right you know you 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 know there's there's a lot of good you know resources available are we using yeah. it pri- uh, properly or completely uh or are we trying to do things on our own so there should be ongoing communication so so what does that look like you know if you're working with a vendor what type of communication you know what what could you expect with the average vendor out there well i mean let's face it you know sis is the major p- player so sure. your experience sure. with sis talk a little bit about how how they would support
3: yeah with every build they have, I mean, not only do you have your your sales representative who's there to hold your hand as best as they can throughout the the whole experience, but they also have the the implementation specialist that comes on pretty early. You know, as soon as y'all are talking about signing and, and getting that done, the, the implementation specialist is there to 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 do that for you, to help you understand what needs to be done, when does it need to be done? They're kind of like your project manager uh for the whole whole experience. And then when you do get stuck, um, either they, uh, or they will give you references to reach out to and say, Hey, look, these guys have, have done it. They're willing to talk to you. You know, if you need, need to bounce some ideas off, uh, I know they have like a good referral program too. So if I am helping another facility out, they'll give me a little, you know, uh, monthly bonus thing. <laughs> so it, they do help, uh, help support and, and incentivize in that respect. And then I I do believe, too, they're, um, you know, they're really talking about helping you put in a lot of that minutiae data, like the preference cards and things like that. So you're not spending so much time focusing on that and more on how is it actually going to flow for your center.
1: And testing it once you get it up and running. Or, or exactly. You, the... the, the the system in place. Well, and yeah. so, so let's talk about that for a second. You know, what, mm-hmm. what type mm-hmm. of a time frame do you think would be appropriate or in your experience would be appropriate sure. from when you decide to go with a particular software mm-hmm. to when it really goes live or completely live?
3: Yeah. And, and a lot of people think this is dependent on how big your facility is. Uh, but honestly, there's only two factors for me at the end of the day first is how much time do you have to spend? Okay. <laughs> and number two is is how comfortable are the people in in doing this or, you know, in, in having this experience because, you know, working for a two OR pain management facility is really not going to take any much longer than an eight OR multi-specialty because you're going to have more resources to put towards it. Um, again, it's more, it's more about the motiv- motivation to do it. So from start to finish. If you're doing it all by yourself, meaning you haven't added any additional consulting along with you, I would say, if everything goes according to plan, everything is cleaned up, um, it could take two to three months um, yeah. if you're motivated enough to do it. A lot more folks are taking closer to the six to twelve month mark just because okay. they get stuck, they they have triple AHD coming in the door, you know, <laughs> staff turnover, um, so. You know, it it, obviously, life
1: happens. Process, yeah.
3: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, and talk about super users and their importance. Yeah. You know, what what makes a good super user, and and how would they interface with the vendor?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, for sure, as early on as possible, identify those folks that really seem eager, interested, and excited about implementing this system for you because they will be your biggest cheerleaders and assistants throughout this whole. You can't do it by yourself. Let's just be really clear about this. Please don't try to do it by yourself. Get a uh, expert in every area involved. Um, And what what I mean by that is billing, obviously, if you're going to include that and then pre-op, OR, PACU, uh, really just make sure you have some and materials management for the supply management uh, aspect of this and um, make sure they're involved in as much as humanly possible, but also, you know, if you want to move forward to your point, don't have 15 committees uh, working on it. <laughs> It'll never get done. Yeah. Um, and then incentivize them, you know, make them, however that looks for you, because it is a lot of work. There's right. a lot of additional work that you are asking them to do. Give them the time, give them the the resources. And then I promise long-term They're going to really take this and own it and help train anybody not only new the days of, but moving forward, because that's really the biggest thing is the um, sustainability of it moving forward as well.
1: Yeah, one of my pet peeves is that often these vendors uh, go out and they 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 give you these white papers. They talk about return on investment and point out that yeah. oh, you're going to save all kinds of time, you know, when yeah. with this new system. Well, uh, maybe in a couple of years, but
3: that's right. Yeah, well, later on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in your
1: experience, you know, what type of additional time, uh, you know, might okay. be involved. I, I know it's hard to pin down, but, you know, just kind of give sure. some examples of what you should expect. I mean, you certainly don't, you can't assume that, that it's going to go smoothly and that you'll, you won't have inefficiencies right from the very beginning. So, right. so deal with that. What do you think? Yeah.
3: Is, for, from a go live perspective, I'm assuming is what you're referring to. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, Plan for the delays, uh, and and I can't stress that enough. Actually, where people think that they will push the button to go live, and that day they're going to still run perfectly on time, and you know, <laughs> there's there's always a glitch in the matrix, you know. So please, uh, just 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 be prepared for that. Have grace, have patience. Um, you know, I would say for every case, let's say every hour case that you do. Um, create that little 10 to 15 minute buffer for those unknowns that might pop up, you know, the, the assumption is it's going to flow this way, all of a sudden, you start using it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, where are we putting our implants? Nobody even knows. So, right. uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I I would say definitely put a little bit of a buffer that you can at least for the first, I would say three days, for the yeah. first three days, those are those are typically the hardest, because it's, Not only are you learning the system, but now you're really testing out what you built and seeing if it's making sense from what you assumed. Um, I've seen it, too, where folks will go back to the drawing board on Friday then and say, hold on, we have to completely flip the way that we built this OR form because we actually work this way and not that way. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of learning uh, in the beginning.
1: Yeah, and, and the best life plans you can organize everything as much as you want.
3: Mm-hmm, when, mm-hmm.
1: when you actually go live, you're going to have surprises. You have to uh, know right. that you're going to have some surprises.
3: Right. And, uh, you know, people like CIS and NHST, they have support available. I can tell you, though, moving into this post-pandemic world, the live support has substantially decreased. I mean, they are... They're barely offering it from uh, really all EMR systems out there right now. So it's uh, it is usually a special request, or it's an additional cost, or something like that. So um, you know, if you really want it, you better make sure that you're building that into a contract or or an agreement up front, because they won't be as willing to to give it to you unless you're you're asking for it. And I hope I'm not getting in trouble by saying that, but it's true. Well, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't skimp on that. Don't skip on the cost of the education that the, you know, if you feel like you're going to need somebody in house, you know, build it into the cost because uh, if if you, if you feel you need to have somebody sitting next to you, then don't, don't take the risk that you're not going to have the resources available to you simply because you wanted to save a hundred bucks, you know?
3: Yeah. 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 Even a thousand dollars. I mean, seriously, it makes a world of difference. I think this is my personal opinion to have somebody standing right there next to me saying, nope. You gotta click it here, here, here. Um, versus, I'm available via telephone or Skype or whatever um, to, to, you know, remote in with you. It's, um, it is a, it is a remote world right now, but not yeah. in a surgery center. We're all still working right there next to each other. So.
1: Yeah, I've been able yeah. to find a nurse yet that can do it uh, from home.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, and it kind of goes without saying that we have to be very careful about those doctors, about the well, the the uh, the physicians who wh- whoever are practicing on the days of the implementation. You don't want to have. Um, you're the ones that that want the fastest turnover that are running mm-hmm. simultaneously be mm-hmm. the doctors that you're working with unless they have true buy-in and want to be part of that solution. I mean I, I could see that happening, but if you've got doctors that aren't even happy with this process, don't want to give in, don't want to give up any of their you know don't don't want uh, any inefficiencies to come into their uh, their surgery day. Th- those are not the doctors to be uh, uh, doing surgery on the days of the implementation
3: not typically the uh, most ideal definitely mm-hmm. however you know take what you can get if if it is what it has to be then then run with it and make sure you're giving them all the cookies and you know pizza or whatever it is that you need to do to keep the day going right. um or or a dedicated person you know okay dr smith is going to be our biggest challenge here so who's going to be on him all day to make sure that he has that you know, white glove service of, of ensuring that, you know, we're, we're making sure he gets all of his work done. So, I mean, if you got to do that for a little bit to make sure he feels comfortable with the system, then then do it.
1: Yeah. And you well, know, and uh, we had a recent experience out in Ohio where we uh, implemented a system and we even uh, for the board meetings for the year before we implemented a system, they took six to nine months to implement. And then they had challenges in implementing it, just, you know, computer problems, you know um, staffing problems that's actually the biggest problem right now is that uh, you know with the staffing uh, when you're training people that's not a good time to implement a new system when you're in the middle of you know, training a lot of people, but, but they had buy-in from the doctors at the board level, right from the very beginning, they warned them that it was going to be challenging, that they were going to have delays. You know, most of the people that were practicing at that center were owners. Uh, so, so, you know, they kept reminding them, Hey, listen, you know, when, when we go live in August, it's, it's going to be challenging, be prepared for it. And they also told them, I think, which is a good idea is that by the way, you know, cash flow might not be great at that time because of you know, the they,
3: additional resources spent on staffing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And so be yeah. totally upfront. And, and I think uh, what this particular organization did is they really uh, portrayed the worst case scenario. And when it was, uh, it still wasn't great. You know, I mean, things, things happen. Uh, but the doctors were prepared for it and they didn't grumble as much as they would have if they had not been per- uh, that well prepared.
3: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To your point, be as upfront honest don't hide anything because then folks will get resentful of you (laughs) just just let them know right up front that at the end of the day this will be good it will be better staff will be happier patients will be happier yeah you know um but it's going to be a little tough tough road ahead uh until then for sure
1: So uh, I I feel like I'm going backwards here for a for a bit. One thing I've mentioned before is Mm -hmm. you know when as you're selecting your super users, as you're putting your team together for that implementation, uh, talk a little bit about. I feel it's very important that that those individuals go on the road, visit centers Mm -hmm. that have already done the implementation, and not just like a a courtesy visit to kind of uh, peek in to see how they're using it, but to really spend a day looking, you know, at how that system was implemented, talking to the people. Of course, you got to you know find. Somebody that's willing to do this, and and hopefully a friend of yours. (laughs) Yeah, investment for you. But talk a little bit about that.
3: Of course. I mean, again, ideally you can do that. You can send a couple folks to a facility that has even a similar um, specialty as you, if you can, right? Because then you can kind of get a feel of what your day will look like in that in that aspect but even if not at least implementing the same system right. <laughs> is the is the next best option um if you can get out there and if not uh, you know from from that perspective getting onto a, a zoom or, or a teams as well to kind of see yeah. their flow see how they how have they built it talking to them about what it, what were your challenges what has worked really well for y'all, I I would 100% agree that in any aspect that you can to connect with other facilities prior to your go live and how they've built it, how they've done it um, is going to be really uh, pivotal to help your success as well. Yeah, that's, that's a good call out.
1: Yeah. And, and uh, I think lastly here, just the importance of the staff training, the importance Mm -hmm. of being patient with the staff, the importance Mm -hmm. of understanding that you got to listen to them. Uh, mm-hmm. And before you say it's time to go live, make sure that they have total buy-in um, or at least 95% of them have total buy-in uh, to, uh, to the implementation, and the timing, if they feel like it's not, they're not ready, don't push it through just because you've got a deadline to meet.
3: Yeah, it's really hard. I think in any time you implement any kind of system, because they're not part of the day-to-day build uh, and so when it does come to the training and and finally implementation time, they do often feel like they've been kept in the dark. They don't know what's going on. I just want to see it. I just want to understand it. And I don't know best practice here, but helping them understand that you will get the training. You will understand it. But we need to ensure that it is actually built out before we really go through it. Otherwise, you're... You know, going to be set up for failure because it's not what it will actually look like that day. Right. Um, and then, and then empowering them to say, "How do you feel about this? Do you have any other questions? Does this make sense to you?" I, I, I don't know how often we do check-ins of knowledge uh, at the end of the day for most kinds of training. Actually, we we talk at them for three hours and say, "Okay, go." You Know, <laughs> but to your point, really letting them play with it. We, we make plenty of test patients in any system that you build. Let them go in and play around with test patients until they feel super comfortable with it. Give them the time to do that before you go live with it because I think that's really important.
1: You know, I as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself, here's a competency, right? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely coding competencies Uh, seems to me like somebody should be putting together a competency for being able to use the computer system before.
3: Absolutely. I'm a hundred percent advocate for that. Yes. Make sure they understand what's going to be expected of them at the end of the day, because they are going to be held accountable to making sure that documentation is complete and accurate and you know, that they aren't spending five hours on it. uh, You know, a couple weeks from now. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs)
1: So, Katie, you have some exciting news for us, don't you? Actually, we <laughs> both do. Go ahead.
3: I mean, I believe we both do. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I am so happy uh, to have joined your team at Ambulatory Healthcare Strategies. Um very excited to be working. With you all as a regulatory specialist, and can't wait to see what our future holds together.
1: Absolutely, Katie uh, joined us on Monday, so she's been with us a full four days when we're recording this, (laughs) and uh, she hasn't quit yet. Uh, Of course, I wouldn't accept any. uh, But we are glad to have you on board. You've been a friend of the the podcast for so long. You uh, you partied with our uh, staff during the uh, ASCA conference, and uh, (laughs) we we've been keeping an eye on you for a while. There, we're so glad to have you on board, Katie. Thank you so much.
3: Me too. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and you're going to be a regular on the podcast here too. So uh, we'll uh, and and you're going to be joining us for some of our uh, boot camps and other things coming yes. up. We haven't worked all that stuff out yet, but because uh, we've we've only really been uh, together for a week here, as uh,
3: right. Yeah, I'm still. I'm, I still need my laptop. You know, come
1: on. That's right. <laughs> Wait for it to arrive. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and and to that end, I you know I think it's uh you, you know we are dedicated at the podcast. Uh, well, I I think we all know right now that EMR is the hottest topic, and and we've been trying to mm-hmm. avoid it for a long time, but we really are running out of time. I know the government's not going to tell us at least not yet. Uh, you know that we have to implement this system, but uh, it, you know it, if you have not already adopted an EMR system, you better be thinking about it and thinking about it pretty quickly uh, because the the days are limited to to be able to maintain a paper record.
3: Absolutely. You know, and, and it kind of just supported by, again, the patients, the staff, the doctors, nobody, nobody wants to use paper, but any and, and those that do just don't know how to do the EMR yet, you know, they, they, but if you walk into any doctor's office, any hospital, any ASC, and you see paper, you, some folks are questioning, like, uh, do they, do they have the latest technology going on here? (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, and, and at the podcast and in our, all of our educational programs, I think people are already starting to get the hint uh, that this is a focus right now of of our uh, educational programs, and uh, I just want to forewarn everybody that we're not going to stop there. and And of course, reach out to us over at Ambitory Healthcare Strategies if you need some help and advice, and Absolutely. and most importantly, you know, reach out to the, the the wonderful vendors out there if you need you know references. And of course, forget about our sponsor uh, SIS. You know, they've been with us for uh, for the entire almost the entirety of our, of our organization. And like we, well, uh, all of us here uh, at the podcast and at AHS can recommend them very highly. So, um, you know, definitely reach out to them. Do you have any uh, last minutes of, of uh, pearls of wisdom before we leave?
3: Always. I would say that it needs to happen, make it happen and please, please, please don't try to do it alone. Uh, if you can help it, if you can help it. I know the healthcare industry typically has very strong will. yeah. Um, not going to say stubborn, but you know, <laughs> folks that think they can do everything on their own. But when it comes to implementing any kind of technology. Please, please, please reach out. We have done it. We've done it many times, and we've done it well. So please ensure to to tap in on your your friends and resources because we're here and we're here to help you.
1: Thank you so much, Katie. It's been a pleasure having you on, and we'll we'll certainly uh, be uh, be talking to you again.
3: All right. Thanks, John. Take care.
0: In this segment, we provide an update on upcoming topics for the podcast, our upcoming virtual conferences, and upcoming speaking engagements for John and his staff and other events in the ASC industry.
1: So ASCA 2024 will be at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando, Florida. Uh, and that's going to be April 17th through the 20th, 2024. And, and the AHS and the uh, the ASC podcast uh, team will be there in force. I think we're going to have probably between 10 and 12 people. And, of course, yeah. just like we did uh, for 2023's uh, conference, we'll, uh, we'll be recording live from there and have a, a couple episodes uh, that uh, talk about uh, the, the various events. The Georgia Society of ASCs and the South Carolina ASC Associations, uh, uh, they, they hold conferences together, so their joint semi-annual conference and trade shows are going to be February 22nd through the 23rd, 2024, in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Westin Atlanta Perimeter North. And the second one is going to be August 15th to 16th, 2024, in one of our favorite cities, mm-hmm. Sue, Hilton Head, South Carolina, at the Marriott Hilton Head Resort and
0: Spa. And the Gulf States Conference is June 11th through the 13th, 2024, in Biloxi, Mississippi, the Beau Rivage Resort and Casino.
1: The Florida Society of Ambulatory Surgery Center's Quality and Risk Management Conference will be April 4th through 5th, 2024, in Daytona Beach, Florida, at the Hilton Oceanfront Resort. And their annual conference and trade show is going to be July 17th through the 19th, 2024, in Orlando, Florida, at the Signia by Hilton Orlando Bonnet
0: Creek. And the Tennessee Ambulatory Surgery Center Association Conference is September 12th through the 13th, 2024 in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Chattanoogan.
1: And just to uh, put in your uh, uh, calendar, our the 2024 multi-state virtual ASC conference will be uh, tentatively it's scheduled for June 13th through the 14th. We're pretty sure it's going to be those dates finally and more information to come on that, And those of you that attended the 2023 multi-state conference know what a, a wonderful virtual event that was. And then, as we mentioned in the beginning, the Credentialing, Privileging, and Peer Review Conference virtual conference is going to be January 11th through 12th, 2024. Uh, this is going to be an update to our 2020 conference on credentialing, and we're going to be adding a lot of new content, particularly in the area of peer review. So for more information about that, go to asc-central.com. And then our previously announced uh, Administrative Bootcamp is now available to register and that will be January 23rd to 26th, 2024. And our second-ever business officer boot camp, business office manager Bootcamp, will be March 12th through 15th, 2024. All of these are available at uh, ASC-Central.com. And on-demand versions of all of our boot camps, including the ASC Director of Nursing, the ASC Administrators, ASC Business Office Managers boot camps, are also available on uh, ASC-Central.com. And if you're short for IPCH or AEU credits for 2023, an on-demand version of our multi-state conference from 2023, uh, which was eligible for 16 AEUs and four IPCH credits, is available on demand. And this conference included a lot of great sessions on infection control, life safety, survey preparation, human resources, introduction to Medicare ASC payment system, pharmacy, staff retention. So for, uh, for information on that, go to ASCentral.com. And don't forget about our patron member program, which is also known as ASC Central. It's an exclusive membership website that provides a one-stop ASC regulatory and accreditation compliance, operations, and financial management resource for business administrators, nurse managers, and business office managers. And resources include some of our virtual conferences, various links to important information, policies and procedures, forms, and fire and disaster drills. And... One of the most important parts of uh, that patron program is the ability to uh, drop into our uh, usually weekly drop-in sessions uh, through Zoom where you get to talk to uh, surveyors and, uh, you know, members of the podcast as well as some of our employees over at AHS. Membership helps to defray the cost of producing the podcast, including our research staff, travel costs at conferences, equipment costs, and production costs. For more information, you may want to visit ASC-Central.com. Speaking of all those uh, Production costs. Sue, so we got a lot of new equipment in the studio mm-hmm. here, don't we? Are, are you excited?
0: I, you know, as long as I can see the screen and I, I really, <laughs> she doesn't even. You're the, know. You kind of are the control center <laughs> over there, so you're the one who's got all all the extra screens and everything. Cause you actually run the show. I just yeah.
1: Kind of <laughs> we've been uh, we've been slowly replacing. Actually, I won't say slowly. We've been replacing a lot of our equipment mm-hmm. here to bring it up to date. So we're we're very pleased to uh, to to be re- ready for our our new conferences in January. Mm-hmm. So. So thank you for joining us for this episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey. If you found the episode informative, we really encourage you to share it with your friends and colleagues in the ASC industry. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. We would love any feedback about our episode or ideas for future episodes by sending an email to comments at ASCPodcast.com. And I'd like to give special thanks to our great team here who make this podcast possible. Our sound editor, Sue Cronkite, our executive producer, John Gailey, and our dedicated research team, Sue Cronkite, Jenna Alvarez, Judy D'Ambrosio, Alex Borneman, Zach Caloraitis, Jim Masters, Amy Dervano, Lori Rodericks, Kathy Fody, Donna Macchio, Christina Norman, and Katie Pearson. We couldn't do it without them. Our music is provided by Media Sushi and Mike Noah and the ASC Podcast with John Galey is hosted on Podbean and is available on all major podcast platforms. Thank you for listening.
0: This episode of the ASC Podcast with John Gailey is sponsored by Surgical Information Systems, SIS. SIS's mission is to deliver solutions and services that help surgery providers, regardless of care setting, improve their organization so they can deliver the highest level of care to their patients. For more information, go to sisfirst.com. This podcast is an educational and operational tool and is not intended to be a comprehensive resource for all rules, Regulations and standards that an ambulatory surgery center must meet. The advice provided should not be considered as, nor does it constitute, legal advice or opinion. When reviewing specific situations involving legal and regulatory issues, attorneys and other professionals should be consulted. This has been a production of Eden Group Development. All rights are reserved. If you're interested in advertising or sponsoring the ASC Podcast with John Gailey, please email us at info at com. We would love to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at comments at